With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, Y Whales, wherever you are. We have a super special uh, event today. We're here with Mr. Alan Matheson to talk about Golden Pair uh, Investments. And so we need to start off with a quick disclosure. Uh, number one, yes, I am in YPO with Alan. Uh, Alan is also a moderator of Y Whales. Uh, however, I have no carry and no current investment in this firm at this time. So what you're going to be watching is both John and I's uh, really thought process and how we would approach asking Alan some questions uh, about this opportunity. And and you all have the, uh, the, the really the, the ability to see and hear our thought process and form your own conclusions. And as always, uh, do your own due diligence, do diligence, uh, do your own financial obligations and taxes, pay your taxes. Uh, that being said, uh, John, how are you doing? You are, this is your first time on uh, Y Whales podcast. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, first time. Watched a lot of Y Whales. Uh, been on a lot, a lot of Y Whales calls, but uh, first time as a as a uh, as a uh, as a host or co-host. Uh, so I'm a YPO from Alberta uh, in uh, Canada. Um, been uh, in YPO for sort of ten plus years, um, probably two, a dozen years now. Entrepreneur, um, uh, lawyer, um, investor. Uh, primarily, my re- most recent um, activity has been uh, I built up a, a portfolio of diversified mid market companies. Grew it from the ground up to 400 million in revenue, 45 million in EBITDA. We just sold that. As part of that, as we're looking for new investments, um, we uh, I re- recruited somebody to, to assist us on the digital assets. So we went pretty deep into some, uh, investing in some digital assets. Started to get a bit of a taste for it. I'd got involved um, in uh, in crypto in sort of 2016, kind of just peripherally. Um, you know, I've been involved in a lot of early stage um, companies, everything from, you know, investing in companies offshore, um, drilling for oil and gas offshore Libya, you know, cannabis company in Colombia, uh, you know, biotech technology. So this is just a kind of a natural next extension, super interesting market. Um, and I, I sort of um, uh, haven't got in as deep as someone like Alan, but super interested in, you know, talk Alan so many times about, uh, you know, getting some insight. So really looking forward to this conversation today. Well, I very much appreciate you spending the time with me today um, because, again, your experience over so many different asset classes and so many different types of funds uh, are absolutely kind of crucial when evaluating any investment opportunity. Um, and, and truly, again, as, as we'll say to everyone, seek your own uh, financial advice. And, and, and clearly, again, uh, super excited for this. And, and Alan, unfortunately, you haven't been able to talk about this prior because you, you've been doing the right thing. You didn't just spin up a token or spin up a DAO and um, you actually went the the through all the regulations, but let's, let's take a second before we get into that. And, and really, um, you've been in crypto for a minute, you've been around blockchain for a minute and you've been, you've been in and around, uh, you know, enterprise level companies for a while. So let's, let's kind of dive back into a little bit of who you are. Yeah, sure. I'm uh, happy to do a bit of an intro. So basically, um, I would start in 1998 when I basically looked around my life in Vancouver and decided that it was not exciting enough for me. Um, I booked a one-way ticket to China and uh, uh, registered for a a school there, 
learned Mandarin. I uh, lived there in 98, 99. Um, then I moved to Hong Kong. Um, I went to Hong Kong and um, had several different iterations as an entrepreneur, um, basically starting uh, sort of software as a service businesses, uh, starting, uh, starting, I guess, in, in 2003, um, first with private equity and then out on my own. In the end, I built and sold uh, five different businesses, um, the most recent of which was a software-as-a-service uh, business that, that addressed uh, the compliance market. So in 2009, uh, it was, excuse me, after 2007 and 2008 and, and the, uh, the, the, the financial crisis, it became obvious that compliance was going to be sort of a new frontier. Um, and so we, we went ahead, we built a, a diligence business that also included a lot of technology that ended up becoming a very like sort of high end uh, software as a service business that we where we sold our services and technology and research uh, to Fortune 500 companies. Um, and we I sold that business in uh, in June of 2021 uh, and really sort of looked around and took stock of what it was that really got me fired up. And uh, the, the simple answer is that I've always loved building on frontiers. So for me to build businesses is part of sort of what I do and how I am. And I love looking into the fine detail and figuring out how things work, how they operate, how you can, you know, and, and that'll really resonate with, I, I think, a lot of YPO members. Um, but I've also always loved just being on the front on frontiers. So China in 1998 was a that was a heck of a place. It was it was a very interesting uh, environment, um, as was you know compliance, as was you know software as a service in those during those periods. And now the ultimate frontier, the biggest frontier that and I think um, in in people of my generation, one of the biggest frontiers that will have come about will be crypto. Uh, and so that's I can't help myself. I was drawn to crypto uh, and have been, you know, knee deep for a while, as as you as you know, um, maybe up to my neck, I would say. Um, but it's just such a fascinating frontier, and 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 the the pattern recognition that you get by having lived on frontiers, other kinds of frontiers, of course, totally different frontiers, but the pattern recognition that you can get in order to to be successful on new frontiers, I think is is something that is has really um, spoken loud to me uh, since being in crypto. That's fabulous. And, and, and let's talk about, you know, crypto and, and blockchain and Web3 is a, is a very broad term that unfortunately gets used. Uh, most people just think of Coinbase, uh, expo, you know, like, hey, I, I, I bought a little Bitcoin, I bought a little Doge, I'm in crypto. Um, your, your story is a little different. So let's talk uh, about that. It's funny, actually, I, I would count that as like a major win that we're already talking about Coinbase and we're not talking about like some random dog coin. Um, <laughs> the, the podcast, is, think, we're still early. We're still yeah. early. Exactly. Like that's, but that, I think that's part of, that's part of the story is that to be frank there, you know, when crypto first hit mainstream consciousness, it wasn't really for the, many of the right reasons. Of course, Bitcoin is new. It's innovative. It's interesting. But a lot of the use cases at the start were not optimal. Um, and really, it's only been recently that I think it's become a very investable asset class. And that's that's one of the things that I think is really interesting to me. So I've been in for a while. I've been mostly focused on uh, decentralized finance. In fact, 
Um, I originally heard about it or looked into it in 2017 um, and just got my company guys, uh, my tech folks to take a look at it. thought this is really interesting. And I came back with um, what I think is a pretty common um, discussion around blockchain, which is like, well, how is it any better than like Excel or a database? And, uh, and now when you see what's building on it, and I think that's where, you know, the, there's a problem in understanding blockchain conceptually. And the beautiful thing is that now you have real world use cases that are out there. So I was jogging with a couple of buddies and they kept talking about sushi swap. Finally, I'm like, guys, like someone's got to show me this because it makes no sense to me what the hell you're talking about. And uh, a, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, you know, this was right after Sushi Swap came out and, you know, he's showing me exactly what's going on. And, and it, it occurred to me that the interesting thing was not necessarily about, you know, uh, yields you could get or how you could trade assets in a tro- totally decentralized manner in a per- permissionless manner. The thing that spoke to me was here's a use case where that could absolutely revolutionize uh, digital assets in pretty much every category. And instantly, I was like, "I'm in. <laughs> I love it." So when you uh, when, the innovation, when you look back at your some of your other investing and some of these other uh, companies you've started, and you've been on the frontier, draw some parallels here um, because you kind of had the aha moment here. It sounds like with uh, with sushi, and uh, you know, you talk about pattern recognition and seeing a lot of this before in in a very different form, obviously. Talk to us about like how that kind of reflected back on some of the things you'd seen before. It's funny, like in my investing career, I, like, I mean, obviously from a business perspective as well, but from an invest- investment point of view, um, there are definitely some uh, uh, parallels. I mean, I lived in Hong Kong for 16 years uh, and just shortly after SARS, uh, you could you could see that the the market was starting to turn after the the community had beaten SARS, so to speak, um, and you could see how you could put together your own narratives around how that would manifest itself, and you have all these different factors, macro factors, yeah. you know, the U.S. dollar, the Hong Kong dollar is pegged to the U.S. dollar, all these different elements, but it was very clear to me at that point that like. Hong Kong property was going to be something that absolutely skyrocketed. So I actually started shoveling as much money as I possibly could into Hong Kong property in 2003, 2004, up until 2008. Um, It's funny. It's like figuring out the narrative and how the market will develop is possibly even more important in a frontier market than it is in a more developed market because your the ability to be able to take a step back and figure out how many different sort of views of the future world are there what are they how are they different and then what is the probability that something is going to happen and then you place your bets accordingly and when you're on frontier markets that's just couldn't be more important because they're so dynamic they're so quick and a lot of people there's like this survivorship basis where a lot of uh, a bias where people think oh like that's really easy because he did it he did it he did it well you know what actually one of the biggest uh things that you need to do in a uh, in a market like that is survive um so actually the risk mitigation element of identifying what those worldviews look like and how to go about investing in them 
is as important as getting any particular worldview right. So, so pivoting, you know, off, off everything you just said, which is very fascinating. People get into crypto, people get into blockchain, people get into web three, whether it's NFT trading or, or there's a variety of things. Um, and generally they get very quiet, meaning that if they're, if they're really good at something, um, you know, they're, they're off doing it by themselves and you can, you know, through the peer to peer protocols and, 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 and small, small to large communities, there's a lot that you can do in and of yourself. And there's a lot of stress around, <laughs> around a market that never sleeps. What, what would, you know, what, what spurred you to say, I want to do this, not just for yourself, but take that knowledge and institutional uh, knowledge and, and, and build a fund? Yeah, it's a great question. Actually, um, when I first got into crypto, uh, I would have given the chance that I would start a crypto fund about a 0% chance. <laughs> um, not, it just wouldn't have been something that I naturally, I think, at that point would have thought of. Um, one of the things that I've always loved is sort of helping people understand concepts It's part of building. Part of building is to engage with different community members and help to, um, you know, reinforce what it is you believe you're building towards. Um, and so from really early on, I started doing educational sessions for groups of friends in EO, in YPO, in other different communities that I'm involved in with no other reason than just to say, like, you guys have to check this out. You understand business, you understand, uh, you know, digital innovation. You have to look at this and let me just sit you down and explain a little bit and show you one or two use cases. And in so doing, uh, I, I must have done, I don't know, 200 sessions for probably 200 plus people over, you know, over a period of time. Um, and without fail, after the session, about 30% of the attendees would come to me and be like, hey, look, you know, <laughs> it's great, but it's so dynamic and there's so much information. It's a whole new paradigm. I don't have time to learn all that. Can I just give you some money and you go ahead and do it? And eventually it just came about that, like, look, I am heavily invested in this. I intend to continue to be heavily invested in this. And I have a, a, a capability to bring in... Um, new ideas, understand the narratives, how to make those very investable. Like, why wouldn't I bring some friends along on this journey? The other element that I haven't really discussed yet is that, you know, that once I started, you know, putting together ideas about formulating a fund, I was out there talking about it and uh, ended up speaking with a very prominent uh, Toronto-based hedge fund. Value investing, like very solid, uh, kind of sophisticated for made for sophisticated investors, uh, who, who are, you know, who want to put their money to good use in like a value investing framework. Um, they're called Ewing Morris. And so we ended up actually ended up working with Ewing Morris because they bring this idea of, you know, uh, of value investing and investing with, uh, principled investing in traditional finance. And a lot of those ideas you can apply very much to crypto investing. And that's, that's the idea is that we want to be a fund, which is, uh, which provides sophisticated, potentially non-crypto investors with a vehicle to get long-term exposure 
through sort of value invest- investing and traditional uh, investing principles. So that partnership is something that, that's just been uh, fantastic. That's amazing. It's not something you hear, <clears throat> excuse me, too often um, with respect to crypto. You know, there's the guys aping into NFTs and, uh, and so what sort of, um, you know, can you, can you talk about some, some sort of specifics on, um, you know, kind of value investing techniques in, in, in the, what's, you know, a frontier wild west uh, market to, uh, to large degree. Yeah, it's funny. And I, and I, I mean, absolutely. And I can, I can talk to you about a couple examples. The one thing I would say too, is though, like value investing isn't a standalone. There are other parts of the investment process, which are really important, like understanding the narrative, understanding yeah. the worldview, how is thinking those things I've talked about before, but from a value investing point of view, um, I can, I, for, for example, um, one of the things in one of the sessions that I did was on a protocol called Ribbon Finance. Mm-hmm. Ribbon Finance, super in- interesting protocol. Um, but the the reasons that we like it and that we did a bunch of research on it were not necessarily what other people think. Like other people, they're kind of like, oh yeah, that looks neat. Like let's ape into it. Let's let's go. It's new. And so, um, but for us, you know, if you look at it on its uh, on the surface. At the time we were investing most heavily, it was a protocol that was earning eight hundred thousand to a million dollars a week in fees, and its circulating market cap was at that time about sixty million dollars. Like in what in what world do you yeah. have this thing that's growing at whatever double digits per week, and? basically being valued one-to-one by revenue, you add on to that, that the way that the protocol had been built was very different than others. Most other protocols build their volume by basically bribing in underlying tokens and ribbon never did that. They don't, they don't do that. You it's a basically sorry, sorry, I should have mentioned it before, but ribbon finance is basically uh, structured products like covered call positions, selling puts in the market on a weekly strategy basis. So they're making their, they're making underlying fees in the underlying uh, uh, assets that are pledged without bribing using their own token. You know what that means? That also means in a bear market, that's those same strategies work effectively well. You're going to have very strong TVL in uh, total value locked. Uh, you know more fees, more revenue. In fact, you could make the argument that the, that kind of a product is going to be strengthened in a in a bear market. So there there are a number of different um, you know investments and and pieces of research that we've done on stuff like that where you're applying um, you know risk management value investing principles alongside narrative so even with 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 ribbon the other thing we like is that you know quite some time ago they they established that they were going to be moving to a different kind of tokenomic model called a vote escrow model way before other uh, some other uh, recent announcements and it's sort of the flavor of the week we we know that the because of curve wars and a number of other things that are going on that that's going to be the way that uh, that tokens are issued um, and so we also see narratives alongside value investing as being a very, very valuable uh, opportunity. And when you have those kinds of, those two elements converge, 
you can move into some very high conviction positions. Well, it's kind of like um, your um, that, your trade in, in um, Hong Kong real estate. I mean, you know, most prop desks at investment banks, most hedge funds, a significant part of their revenue is exactly those types of structured pro- products, right? Like they're a fairly low risk strategy. And I mean, the dream is high volatility, low duration. And I mean, that's effectively what they're doing. And yeah, the fact you can buy it at, um, at the moment or whenever it was you, uh, you invested at sort of one time in an environment where you've got that narrative is unbelievable it's uh, that's very impressive well i mean even since we started that with that investment that we've we're up about 20 something percent and the 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 markets down the general market or eth uh is down sort of 10 12 percent from there i believe uh so it's a you know i think if you if you get some of those things right even some of these huge sways in the market yeah. you see because it's a very volatile asset um, you have some some protection, mm-hmm. um, and there are a number of different protections that the fund will will uh, will have because, like I said, surviving a bear <laughs> is as important. If you can profitably survive a bear market, I mean that's actually I think where the long term money will be made. It's all fine and well to go and try to find something that's going to hundred x. But if, if we hit a bear market and there's this volatility all becomes volatility to the downside, then those those positions become very difficult, difficult to reconcile. Um, yeah. So, Sorry, so so real quick, Alan, I want to jump over and, um, you know, I speak to so many different funds and I exposure, you know, from where I said it, there's there's, you know, buy and hold, you know, coins and, and some of them have, you know, different a lot of different and I'd say very simplistic uh, outlooks, um, no matter how complex their, their metrics are to manage that. Um, but, but you've come at this from a very different point of view when you're looking at the overall cryptocurrency and blockchain market, because you're incorporating DeFi, um, and not just DeFi, but you're incorporating the protocols and the governance tokens into this. Can you just take a, a quick second and, and take a few steps back and give me your, the overall theses behind this fund and, and, you know, kind of the way you and your team are going to be looking at this? So I'll back up even one step beyond that, which is that like when I was looking to deploy my own capital into the market, I did want to take a sort of a distributed um, uh, view on that. And I was going to do some of it myself. No doubt I was going to increase a lot of my own positions, but I did go out looking for funds. And one of the things that I found was there wasn't something the way that I wanted to see it and the way that I think all those folks who were doing these educational sessions with me, the way that they wanted to see it. So what we've done is we have put together essentially a, a four strategies within one fund. Um, the fund itself is meant to speak to sophisticated investors um, who understand broadly financial products and invest in funds and give them long exposure to crypto but also to be able to generate yield, to generate income on some of those positions. And so uh, basically what that means is when you have assets sitting in decentralized finance, you can pledge some of those assets such that they're used in trading positions in order and you get a piece of the fees. Um, And that basically works around this concept of like automated, automated market makers. And so what that does is it means that you're going to be able to generate yields and returns 
on some of these different strategies that we've got going. And again, if you can, if you can get yields and compound them, then again, when we talk about a bear market, I'm not strictly focused on bear markets, but it does come in handy in a bear market. You're still earning, and a lot of the stuff that you've you've earned, you're going to be able to compound. So we've got four key strategies within the fund. The first is just what we would call like a general Web3 strategy, meaning combining both value investing principles, narrative, what are the, the, the tokens that will do best by disrupting, significantly disrupting different parts of di- digital uh, the digital world. Um, and so that could be anything from bu- buying things like uh, plays in the insurance side of things to uh, like, you know, structured, uh, structured products, all the way to like, say, the technological infrastructure around NFTs. Like you wouldn't buy- be buying NFTs. That's a whole other thing. But like the technological infrastructure. The beauty is that once you have tokens, uh, you have those tokens, you can also pair them to create yield and generate income out of those positions and that so that that'll be a a big part of what we do another element uh the second element would be uh um, single asset staking so as quite a few uh protocols are now on uh proof of stake it means you can buy those assets stake those assets generate yield um there are some other ways you can single asset stake where you don't have um, any kind of impermanent loss um, the third element is actually going to be one of the things that helps keeps us um, steady growth bond, uh, during bear or bull. And that's going to be a what we call a delta neutral strategy. So meaning that we will be, uh, you know, using stable coins, using strategies that are independent of market movements such that we can still continue to generate solid returns and compound those returns. And the last would be a discretionary, uh, a small discretionary element. Um, that's really important, I think, also, even though, you know, it, I wouldn't stress the majority of what I speak about about the fund, but, you know, I've, sp- I've spoken about narratives before, and narratives are really important in crypto because there are different elements of the worldviews, right? If we have multiple worldviews about how things will develop, if you, if you, can, if you can figure out what, the right worldview is first and be there first, then basically in traditional finance, it's like a vol play. Like you hit the vol before and you have this ability, you know, the whole market is going to go there. And so you're able to like grab that. And so we want to, we want to be using that discretionary piece to say, well, we have a thesis that one of the next new narratives is going to be this and who's going to win them, them, and them. And then as those worldviews start to prove themselves and the different probabilities of the different worldviews start to switch, that's when we start to look at it and say, now this is, this is coming. Here, here we go. So that's really interesting because, you know, I've talked to, um, like Jay, um, dozens of funds around the world um, and looking to put capital to work. And, you know, it seems like um, there's been a lot of the funds that started up in sort of 2017, 2018, that have had phenomenal returns over the last couple of years. And they the money is just pouring into them. And, you know, some of these funds are now, you know, sort of a billion dollars up to sort of four or five billion dollars. Um, you know, asset size is kind of the the uh, the negative of investment returns. It's the correlate. 
um, it makes it very difficult to continue those returns once you've got a lot of assets under management. Not saying this is a fairly big, um, you know, fairly liquid market. Uh, you, you know, you, it still gets tougher to uh, to generate those returns. You know, how do you think that's going to play in? I mean, you're going to be a lot smaller. Um, I'm presuming you're not going to close on a billion dollars in your first closing. Uh, maybe wrong. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> so yeah, talk about that because I think that's going to be a really interesting. Um, as we differentiate over the next two years with, you know, who are going to generate um, investment returns. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think, you know, when you get into that kind of size, it becomes very difficult to deploy meaningfully um, because some of these interesting, uh, you know, value plays and narratives are investable at smaller sizes. It's a lot more difficult to invest in them um, uh, when they're larger. I think, there's some other interesting plays. When I was out in the market, the other thing that really um, uh, that I found challenging was that, uh, you know, for instance, uh, there's a big draw towards um, being involved in venture. Mm-hmm. So venture level, pre-tokenized investments. One, they, they're small. You can you can't go to a founder and say I'm going to give you a hundred million dollars because there's just yeah. it's just not not usable and it's not so it becomes very difficult and sure at the moment in a great market they can really boost the portfolio but it's a very different skill set it's a different thing that I think the investors that we want to bring in are interested in if you you know a hundred x in a venture fund is difficult to replicate. It's almost impossible to replicate in a in a bear market or much more challenging. But also, you're not getting, I think, that long exposure that that investors crave, which is to say, if I want to invest in the internet, then I don't necessarily want to be putting stuff between you know behind 20, 20 kids swinging for the fences. I probably want to have some of the fangs in my portfolio, and I want to make sure there's good income there, and that I generally have a pr- protected asset, which is has long-term uh, growth potential. Um, and so, I, you know, there's this constant um, draw from the funds to be drawn into those kinds of investments. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if we were going to do such things, it would be a totally different fund. Um, it's not what we're trying to, to accomplish, uh, to accomplish through, through this fund. Yeah, so, you, go ahead, Jake. Sorry. Oh, so, so I, you know, I just want to jump on, uh, you know, a few things that you said and, and, you know, for me as an investor, you know, in a space that, that I'll, I'll say I understand, but I don't believe there's any such thing as an expert because as soon as you feel like you're an expert, uh, 10 days later, the, the protocol is going to change the, the, the everything's going to shift. And, and that really leads me to, you know, I always invest in teams. Uh, I invest in people because, you know, if the people are, no matter how great the idea is, um, and to be clear, I think that you have a fabulous idea and a fabulous opportunity here. Um, but, but you know, d- describe a little bit more, and we've heard about you, but who else and, and what resources have you kind of built up around yourself uh, to rely on to, to help eliminate, you know, FUD or, or just, you know, any erroneous due diligence? So great question. Um, yeah, we, we've we've begun building a team. Um, so we've got uh, myself. Um, funnily enough, the gentleman who originally walked me through sushi in my previous story, um, he's joining us, and he's just an amazing investor and super deep into crypto. He knows everything about everything. When I have questions, I'm like, 
hey, uh, I can't figure this out. Can you help me out? Um, and so he's going to be taking a very active role. Um, we've got marketing resources, so helping working with investors, potential investors. Um, but crucially, I think two other elements. One, uh, we, we very specifically know what we're good at and what we're not good at and where we want to bring in the best. And that's Ewing Morris. So Ewing Morris, again, amazing reputation, very well managed. Uh, you know, so we have great resources through Ewing Morris as well to be able to, uh, you know, service the fund. And it's not just, you know, a few people here kind of like, you know, trying to figure things out. We've got a whole organization that is a part of this journey that will be helping not only in terms of, you know, the everyday work, but administration policies, procedures. So, um, and I, that was the second point that I was going to raise is there's equally a structural element, which is very important. So you do see quite a few funds, I think on the lower end where, uh, you know, maybe they haven't done a lot of the work in, in order to get, uh, to get fully organized. So we have uh, Ewing Morris, of course, as, I, as I've mentioned. Um, we've got, you know, the best lawyers. We've, we did a lot of work and a lot of due diligence to be able to find um, accountants and accountant auditors that help not only understand things like um, uh, fund uh, uh, auditing, but DeFi specifically. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a whole new paradigm. You need to make sure that when the auditor is there and the auditor is really looking at all the policies and procedures that they understand exactly what's going on. Um, we've brought in, and, and uh, just to pause on that point real quick. And, yeah, I, and I, I really think people need to understand there. This is a space that is evolving very fast and very quickly and regulations globally. And, and no matter what country you're from or where you're at there, there is no solid rule book here. There are rules you can follow. You can and make sure to happen. Um, but, but, but absolutely the, the due diligence that you're describing is, is something that I think it's missed <laughs> in a lot of protocols. And there's times where funds are trying to deploy capital and are unable to do so because they did not take that due diligence, uh, from the get-go. Um, and so, you know, as you're trying to enter or, or exit uh, positions, it becomes very difficult um, as suddenly you're, you're no longer compliant. And I mean, I think it's as absolutely totally agree. And it's as much about vendors as it is. And, and that's a very important part of how everything fits together. You need great custody, you need great security, but it's also about uh, policies, procedures, so we've we've also brought in uh, a very senior security consultant to be looking through all the policies and procedures to make sure that you know that we're absolutely rock solid with regards to how we're deploying funds, where we're deploying funds, uh, the diligence around that, um, as well as the like the actual operational elements of when you're sending money, how is it sent, and before that. We have a, a, a very robust investment committee. So it'll be myself, my partner on the investment committee, also uh, a managing former managing director of Goldman Sachs, uh, who's now the treasurer of a significant protocol. Um, we've got a uh, the managing managing partner of Ewing Morris, uh, a PM from uh, Ewing Morris, and crucially, the chief compliance officer of Ewing Morris is actually going to sit on the investment committee at my request. Um, because 
uh, crypto is a little bit different. In a traditional investment committee, you have these sort of, of course, you're considering risk, but you want to, it's, I would say it's, a lot of it is, of course, investment risk. Some of what we need to consider in this is um, reputational risk, for instance, of where we're putting, where we're pledging assets in order to yield them. Or um, what kind of what kind of research have we have we done around the security audit of that protocol that we're going to be investing in? And so I think there's this whole other world and different way of thinking about things that we want to make sure that yes, we're we're actively investing in a very volatile asset, but that we're doing as much as we can policies, procedures, structure in order to create a, a, a rock solid way of investing in that for for sophisticated investors i think that's so crucial because um you know so many smaller funds that i've looked at um you know they may have reasonable returns and some theses but it's your experience as an lp that you take away you know timely financial disclosure you know timely tax information so having that infrastructure in place is um yeah that's 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 really interesting you took that perspective of teaming up with a uh with somebody who's got that in the sort of traditional finance market let's talk a little bit about risk i mean obviously you know every market's got risk um and you've talked a lot about it like you sound um very much like you're you, you, you focus on that, given you, you know, you've brought up the concept of bear markets a number of times. Um, you know, risk can be managed a number of ways. Um, uh, how are you, what sort of protocols are you putting in place or your team putting in place um, to manage uh, risk? Things like, you know, liquidity, you know, maybe leverage, things like that. Um, you know, all of those things can increase um, risk um, unrelated in many ways to the underlying asset. It, uh, what, what kind of thoughts have you got on that? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question, and you know there are there are elements, of course, which like policies, procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right; there are some uh, there are some elements that. So, from a policy and procedure perspective, um, we'll set out all of our investments that we want to make. Um, that we'll sort of whitelist with the investment committee. We'll then do research on every single in like specific research on every single investable. Uh, opportunity that provide thesis that provide you know potential gains and what our expectations are. Uh, so we want to run that in a in a very regimented way um, to provide a, a, a great a great structure. Um, but you're right, there are things like leverage. So leverage we will be using sparingly at best. Um, in my own personal portfolio, I never touch leverage, and I think we would want to do almost exactly the same thing. The reason that I have a bit of a caveat there is that some structured products, for instance, will have managed leverage positions yeah. included in them. Um, but those would be managed through technology. We would be checking all the box- boxes to make sure that if we're going to engage such a thing, there's no there's no liquidation engine. Like we're not going to get liquidated. Here are the stop gaps uh, to to make sure that that doesn't happen. But you're absolutely right in that you know um, we we will be taking risk. It's a volatile asset, but we want to take risk when we have conviction about the outcome. And that's one thing that I've always 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 believed in. And it's so hard to do in crypto because. There's so many different yeah. amazing ideas out there. There's so much out there. I, I, but, uh, you know, I think it's, it's more important to say no than it is to say yes. 
because you can invest in everything. You could have this like shotgun, uh, shotgun approach where you have, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of positions in a smallish portfolio. What we're aiming for is we want to do all the right things to combine, combine the value investing principles and an understanding of the narrative to move into something with a lot of conviction. And I think that's where you, that's where you have the opportunity to have a, uh, you know, to have, to have, uh, you know, potentially um, better gains than, so, than you can find. All right, so I'm going to ask a very nebulous question and, and I understand there's, there's, you, you, there's no such thing as promised returns. There's, there's no, any of that stuff, but what does winning look like? What, what do you, I mean, listen there, I, again, I, it's not a day doesn't go by. I don't get pitched to fund or, or sent an email or something. And, and I'd say majority of them are like, we're going to buy Bitcoin and we're going to hold it for 10 years. And we're going to give you a return on, on whatever that is. And, and, and you've got a, a, a much more in-depth and complex uh, theses around this. So, so my question is, is what, what is winning? Um, you know, what does that look like for you guys? Can I just add to that? Uh, Jay, I think it's a really Please. great question. And yeah, it sort of leads into sort of benchmarking and, you know, the, this, as you look around at, again, you know, the, um, so many of the funds I've looked at, I mean, you know, they've got impressive returns until you benchmark against Bitcoin or until you benchmark against Ethereum or the Dig- Galaxy Digital, um, uh, Bloomberg Galaxy Digital Index. And then you see that, you know, to your point of like throwing, uh, you know, large position, uh, owning everything, um, you know, uh, actually doesn't work as well as some of these. So most of these funds have underperformed those indices, uh, if you call them indices. Um, so yeah, as a kind of corollary to, to Jay's question, uh, that, that's, that'd be interesting to know your thoughts on. Hey, thanks guys. It's kind of like, it's a lot to chew on, but, uh, yeah, I'll do my best. No, I appreciate it. Um, okay. Uh, so I guess I'll maybe handle it backwards. Um, in that, like, I think you're absolutely right, John, that the, the benchmark is really important. Um, the benchmark, i.e. how can we be successful to Jay's question by outperforming is a little bit nebulous. Um, I think you're right in that, like comparing to Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, and possibly the, the galaxy index, um, might be relevant, but I think they're going to become increasingly less relevant. So there are major changes that are coming, uh, especially to Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ethereum merge, uh, you've got just mass onboarding of everything from NFTs and all these different um, parts of the ecosystem. And, uh, you know, I think you're going to end up that what I've now hopefully moderately eloquent defined as a frontier market is actually not a frontier market. It's like five frontier markets and growing. And you have to figure out how you're going to be positioning each one of those. So I think probably like a, 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 what I'm trying to say is I think the benchmark of using just those two or maybe three things is probably less, uh, is going to become less relevant. There are going to be more investable opportunities within those different frontiers. And when we think about, well, then what does success look like? I think there's a few different elements. It's money. (laughs) I mean, it's returns. Um, That is, uh, that's a part of it. And frankly, you know, I'm putting up a significant amount of my own personal wealth in the fund as well, because I didn't, I didn't do this to, you know, to like set it up, to set up an investment vehicle for other people. 
Um, this is this is actually a, how I would want to see a vehicle uh, formulated and run for long term sustainable growth. And I think that's where that's where we want to. That's the that to me is the success. Is can it survive? Is it going to prosper? Are we going to be able to eventually, you know, as the market changes and adapts, uh, are we going to be able to find the the fangs of crypto and be invested in them and and have good positions in them as as it all matures? Don't forget, if you plot internet growth and uh, crypto wallet adoption, they're actually almost exactly the same line, except that the crypto adoption is at about 1998. And in 1998, there was no Facebook, there was no Google, there was Yahoo. There was, the, my personal favorite is uh, Infospace. They went public for 50, for um, $75 million at, I think, $15 a share. And the price went to, I don't remember what it was, like 1200 bucks a share or something. And you know what they did? the yellow pages of the internet <laughs> and you look back and you're kind of like, that's ridiculous. That's the, that's ridiculous. Well, guess what? That's where we are right now. There's, you know, you have to be able to um, mature and have it, keep the exposure. You don't want to not have exposure, but you want to be able to, to, to tailor that exposure to how, what is the worldview today? How is the worldview uh, investable today. And that's where we want to keep coming back to and making sure that we have substantial positions in high conviction plays that we believe those most probable worldviews where that's going to work out. And does that mean that we're going to get thousand X? Probably not. No way. But at the same time, it means that we want that success is going to be, we want to be positioned into those long-term sustainable growth front um foundational elements of this investable asset so that that leads into a, a couple points and and you've you've said the word a few times and i'm gonna I, i've let you kind of say it move on and and that's the word bear market and and in, yeah. and in crypto we don't generally use bear we use winter um meaning that that you know everything that was living and growing and prospering is just dead and you know is it going to come back we don't know what's going to come back in the spring and 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 rise next time and and you know clearly the reason why you know i myself would want to invest in in an active tr actively traded fund versus a buy and hold fund um is is for that exact reason so so talk to me about again you a little bit about your experience experience um, over the years in, in crypto winters uh, and also how you'll you'll attack that you know from a fun perspective now so you know I think um, like I said surviving a winter I think is going to be one of the elements that is absolutely crucial to positioning for that sort of long-term sustainable growth. It's funny. Actually, I was, I was just, I was listening to the, the bank list with, um, with crypto Kobe on it with Kobe. And that was his, one of his main points was just like everybody else fell off because in the winters they all, you know, they all dried up. And, uh, you know, I think it just, it comes back to this concept that like successful investing in volatile assets is as much about risk management as it is about picking winners. And so um, now I, I'll, 
I'll, I'll throw sort of a spanner in the works in that when I, I, I also believe that because now we have probably, like I said, like maybe four or five different fronts that, 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 uh, that combine to, to make this frontier, it does seem to me actually that they're, they may not be hundred percent correlated. So you may have some areas that are still moving forward while others are depressed. So if, even if you look just over the last little while, um, you know, the markets have not been kind to Ethereum and to uh, parts of DeFi, but, you know, NFTs are hot. NFTs are gaining a lot of traction and momentum. And so that means that there are investable areas that are still, that'll, that are still there. So I, I also, I, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I think the market is also maturing enough such that I don't think, I'm not sure that a winter is going to look like previous winters. I think that there will be, um, that, you know, obviously you still have to, you have to mitigate that risk, but that there should be opportunities within those environments in order to, to continue, uh, moving forward. It would strike me that, you know, um, using a value kind of lens as part of your strategy, um, will assist in, I mean, winters are when some things die, but most things go dormant in winter. And, you know, for instance, you use the example of ribbon um, earlier. I mean, if you can buy a business at one times cash flow, um, you know, you may have to wait some time for those returns to be uh, to be demonstrated. But you're buying deep value there, so presumably your approach will uh, will will have an effect on it. You know, it may not be illustrated in monthly returns, but like you said, if you're looking for a longer term um, perspective and a longer term track record. Then you know in, in, uh, the thing with value investing is you know usually you have to wait some time uh, to, to see the yeah, returns, yeah. but you've got the underlying value there. The nice thing is that in crypto, that time is usually like two months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everything's compressed. <laughs> At right? least in these markets, like they're like, oh, I have a thesis. Oh. I formed that thesis on Monday, and it's Friday. So hey, we we yeah, saw we it. saw uh, Ohm go in in less than seven months from zero to three something billion, uh, and now it's coming back again. So now coming back down. So so how do you know? It, and that's a really good one because they they are clearly um, in in the the playground of which you would be. Um, you know these protocols they 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 shoot up, and and the problem is is. Maturity doesn't mean much in a space um, that that's literally can be measured in in weeks uh, and not years, and and so how you know again when you're looking at these protocols and 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 understanding clearly the you know the best returns are, are early adopters, um, but but staying in them isn't you know they're not all blue chips. <laughs> Clearly. And so, and so what did you learn from kind of watching Ohm um, to help people understand, you know, where we sit today and and where, where you may even think Ohm is going in the future? (laughs) It's debating me, but uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll put Ohm aside for a second and just say that like um, in crypto, there's a, there's a term called aping which is like you ape into things, which means basically just like, I'm not doing any research. I just like, cool. It seems like the, the flavor of the week. So just, you know, see how it goes. And, you know, we all know that's no different than like just going to Vegas and pick red or black, which it doesn't really matter which one. Um, and in my previous business, I set up a research function that at its 
that had 250 researchers around the world doing research on companies uh, day in, day out in, I don't know, 25 different languages. And that wasn't, the trick about that was not doing the research. I mean, it's been a long time since I did that kind of research. Um, but what I did do and what I think was quite successful with was building the processes to make sure that that is done with certain methodology, that it's quality, that it goes through quality assurance processes, that we, we get the same outcome and by following very rigorous processes. And that's, I think, the answer to the question, which is, you know, I think most people that aped into Ohm kind of knew it was a Ponzi and it was a Ponzi of a sort. And I'll come to like what sort, but, uh, but ultimately the, the level of research I don't is, is really important. So in any investable asset, especially what we're going to be doing with other people's money is we want to be checking every single thing that we can possibly learn. And in crypto, the amount of information is arguably even more than in traditional markets because you have on-chain data, you have access to huge communities through Discord, you've got like all this narrative stuff that's going on with within Twitter, and sometimes that actually has, you know, is, is sourcing on-chain data and the rest of it. You have all this rich, rich data environment to be able to make start make sense making sense out of all of this. And so um, with Ohm. Um, you know, it's clear even from their own white paper, for instance, that the asset was trading at a substantial uh, premium to the NAV and that eventually that was going to have to converge. So I actually, um, uh, you know, that, that, that was a concern for me for, for quite some time. What's interesting about Ohm now is I think you're going to see what uh, what Wonderland is doing, which is to say they're going to move move away from the rebasing model, and they're going to basically uh, decide that they are a SPAC. Now it's a different environment. Now the environment is you've got a community, a very very strong aggressive community. You've got a you know significant amount of treasury, and you've got a, a leadership that. Um, that seems to be the source of much of the innovation that's going on in DeFi. So within that one decision from a model that was everything, protocol-owned liquidity and all the rest of it, moving to a different kind of model and saying, well, okay, now that you know the treasury is ours and we're a SPAC and we're not going to be rebasing anymore, well, now the whole thing has changed. And now you got to look at the research again. You have to look at the thesis. You have to look at their roadmap. You have to look at... So just a, a good example of, of, of sort of um, ways to be able to provide some of the, that more traditional understanding of what of, and research uh, and applying it to this, this dynamic market. And, and all of this in under six months of them being <laughs> exactly. in existence. So, so yeah. you, you said a word earlier, and I always like to, to kind of pull back to these. And then the word is community, and and it's a it's 
for anyone who's wanting to is interested in crypto, blockchain, Web three, I, I don't think you can understate the word community. And in TradFi, um, you know, you hear a lot about the, like the old boys club, and you know, the bankers rule this, and there's you know, here's here's the 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 people pulling the strings. In Web three, um, you know, we we hear a lot about the VCs, and we hear a lot about the big guys. But but that's going to shift, and I, that's my own personal thesis. That's that's no one else's on this call, and it's going to shift to the most powerful communities um, that that are able to mobilize and and uh, tokenize themselves to be able to act a, around whatever their their governance or, or whatever their 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 own thesis is. And and so, Alan, you know, as as uh, I, I unfortunately have to point out, uh, right behind you is is one of the very early uh, examples of that. And, you know, while we don't have the old boys club, we do have the OG club. And, and so talk a little bit about kind of the communities that, that you see and how you interact in this space, because that's, that's the difference, uh, between someone showing up today and saying, I want to invest and someone who's been around that has the maturity, um, to, to even understand what's on your wall behind you. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I have a feeling a lot of people would will see it and be like, "Why does he have a cartoon as well?" That's that's, that's, that's why they should call you. Anyway, you, can, you can you can go you can Google it. Um, so, uh, this yeah, it's you know, like you said, community is very important in crypto, and uh, there are definitely different parts. The one thing I would say is that the the OG community is extremely open, like really welcoming if you have new ideas. And one of the sort of facets of crypto is that if you have ideas which add value or that are innovative, then the door is open. And I don't know that that's going to last forever. Um, but one of the things that's that's always been interesting to me is... And I, I apologize if I keep coming back to the same themes, but like we have these multiple worldviews, right? We have this view that like um, whatever that the Ethereum merge is going to be great, and that all the L2, all the value will move to L2s, and that everything's wonderful. And then we have another worldview which says like, well, maybe that's not the case, and then this, that, and the other. One of the things that's amazing about the community is when you understand, I was going to say all the different parts, no one understands everything. That's part of the beauty. When you understand many of the different parts, the community is open to engaging with you. These group of builders to be able to say, what's your worldview? How do you think this is going to work? And when you actually speak to the people that are building it, they have amazing ideas about, well, I think there might be a problem with this model. And so it might shift slightly towards that model. And when you're able to engage in those conversations, it helps you define your worldview so much more accurately and also to be able to risk rate it much more accurately, um, which, I, which I think is it's one of the beautiful, beautiful parts of of being involved in uh, in crypto. And you see it all the time. The problem is it does take time. It takes effort. You have to be involved and engaged in conversations constantly. Um, you know, you spend a lot of time in, in, in 
in, you know, Discord and, you know, other places and Twitter DM. And uh, it's, it is a very different kind of an engagement, uh, but it's very rewarding. And, and again, like not only being on the frontier, but having access to the people who are building out this frontier is just such an amazing place to be. Uh, I feel really Really and, and a point of clarification that I, I think is important is there's no longer Wall Street. There's no longer a centralized location of which, you know, if you're going to be a successful fund, you got to be in New York City or, or one of these five, five, you know, like two mile like radiuses. Um, it's global and, and the, the, the channels of <clears throat> communication are changing. They're fluid and, and, and in some cases anonymous. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a very dynamic difference between previous asset classes and what we're seeing emerge now in web three, which is, you know, closer to true decentralization. And, and, you know, I think that we're, that's going to take a lot of time to build out the processes to manage true decentralization. Um, and so that, that's the only point I want to make clarification on there for anyone who is like, like, why is he hanging out on Twitter and, and chat rooms? There's, you, you can't know where these people are. I mean, certain, certain founders uh, are anonymous and have been anonymous. And so, you know, the only access uh, that, that VCs or, or investors like, like Alan would even have are going to come from the fact that he, he's in certain chat rooms with them, which does sound very nebulous and, and whatnot, but that's, yeah. that is the reality of Web3 space and has been for years, over a decade. So I'll, there is a, I'm not averse to going for beers with folks sometimes too, which is, which is a lot of fun. Uh, Luckily Miami has turned into a bit of a, a bit of a hub. Eh? Well, it's okay there. <laughs> you, you know, you talked about earlier about how you got into this, Alan, in terms of, you know, talking to other YPOers, EOers, and the sort of the education component. I mean, as you've talked today, I mean, you got obviously deep knowledge in so many different areas, the amount of time you've spent on this. Any thoughts on how you might kind of continue what you started, you know, kind of what got you into this and the kind of education component? Is that going to sort of flip into the uh, fund at all? Is that, um, you know, uh, part of the, the, the offering, so to speak? It's funny because I made like kind of a flippant comment before about, you know, well, what does success look like? And I was like, well, yeah, money. It's true. Money's a part of it. But, and I, I kind of struggle with, how to communicate this because um, it sounds maybe like a little airy fairy, but um, my, m- like my value set is not necessarily to, uh, you know, just make as much po- money as possible. My value set is much more around like engagement. And one of the things that I love about this space, and I've done, I've done quite a bit of stuff with YPO is just helping people understand it. And so when I look at how we intend to formulate this engagement of uh, investors, I don't want the relationship to be like, yeah, here's your statement, you know, look at it and smile. Um, To me, that would be a loss. Uh, The other part of it is going to be, you know, significant engagement around um, different ideas, different worldviews, if you will, Mm -hmm. Um, but also um, like use cases. Because I think that's the really important thing is, you know, most sophisticated investors who are running businesses and doing all kinds of stuff don't have time to look deeply. And it's interesting to talk about, you know, theoretical ways that things could work. But it's more interesting to, like, pull up a protocol and show them, 
this is how you would interact with this protocol. Here's what it's meant to do. This is why it's going to be able to disintermediate insurance. And I think a lot of times when you do that, that's when the light goes on. And so if, if I can help engage people in that way and also give them some ideas for their, how they're whatever, if they want to look more into blockchain for their own businesses or uh, then to be honest, that's, that's also a, a big part of success of what success means mm-hmm. as well. I've, I kind of struggled talking to potential investors about that sometimes because they're like, some of them are like, yeah, okay, well just, just show me the money. Yeah. It's interesting though. Cause you'll have, you know, the little community we're all part of, I mean, people have sort of drunk the Kool-Aid and sort of see a lot of the opportunity and they're in it in different depths. But, you know, there's still Bitcoin and crypto skeptics out there. In fact, a significant number of people, you know, if you were to talk to them, you know, how do you, yeah, how, how do you interact um, with them? Because I think, you know, you've seen the opportunity, you know, you're investing in it. You've used the analogy of some of the frontier markets um, that you've come from. But, you know, a significant part of the population still think this is, um, you know, kind of a, a pets.com to go back to your Internet analogy. Um, so, yeah, how, how do you talk to those uh, people? It's a great point, although I think a significant part think it's like, you know, free Viagra.com, not, not necessarily <laughs> pets. We're not even at pets yet. Um, but, yeah, I, I take your point. And I think. It is a challenge. It's a challenge because um, it is a challenge because crypto, a lot of crypto did come from issues from, you know, there was crypto was primarily used for a long time to to deal on Silk Road. Um, And uh, and no one ever talks about it. But frankly, Silk Road was probably the best thing for Satoshi's vision because you know, it ended up being heavily used. Okay, we don't need to we we don't need to go there. But you add on to that that like because it's still frontier. The other thing you find on frontier on frontier markets is you know scammers. And so I think the pr- part of the problem is that the media also is always going to find that that part is easier to understand and easier to communicate, and that it kind of like rebel rises rebel rouses a, a little bit more. So the engagement of people who don't really understand crypto, I think, is is a challenge on behalf of the whole crypto community. But in my experience, when you start to challenge some of those uh, misbeliefs, some of those things about like dog coins and like, well, how is you know, how is Ethereum any different than Bitcoin? Like Ethereum price should be able to hit Bitcoin prices if it's better. And you're like, well, hold on a second. You start to start to really engage them around. Let me tell you about smart contracts. Let me tell you about how a smart contract could be used for a specific purpose. Let me show you the protocol where you can right now go and insure a position and there's two sides. It's a two sided. You start to explain all of those different elements and then you wrap it in a framework of, okay, we know it's there. We know it's interesting. We know it works. Again, are we in the yellow pages of the internet stage? Well, what stage are we at? If we're really at 1998 in terms of growth for most mature investors, they, uh, then they understand it. Then they're like, Oh, I get it. It's early. We've got whatever free Viagra and we've got pets, yeah. but we also have Amazon. the potential to invest in Google. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen Google yet, 
but we have the potential to invest in it. And, you know, that's where, that's where I think you start to see the, the gears really start to turn and people are like, maybe I shouldn't just discount this because I'm not, it's such a new paradigm. All of it is just such a new innovative way of doing things that it's very easy just to be like, forget it. I don't, you know, I don't have the time, but if you can crack in there just a bit, um, when, you know, typically sophisticated investors have enough curiosity in them to be able to say like, Hmm, interesting. And, and it really depends. And this is again, you know, my own personal opinions and, and, and what I've seen is when it does click for people and it can be at any point, any time, you know, I had a fabulous conversation this morning with the founder of BitPay and, you know, the, the, he read Satoshi's, you know, white paper and then just waited. <laughs> didn't, didn't, I mean, it, he understood it. He'd been clearly working on a digital payment system. And then a, a very short time later, then it suddenly clicked and he was there and he was on it and it was, and it was, you know, something for him. And so it, it's going to take time for people to understand those use cases. It's going to under take some time for people to realize what is, you know, how is this going to be used? When is it ready to be used? And is it right for them? And so I, I think it's really a, a, an interesting point you make about it. It's just time and space taking, which is another one of Satoshi's <laughs> theses, time and space. Um, but you know, it's just, it, it's, it's the amount of time you spend in the space um, to, to get that, uh, that logic around there. And I think it's going to snowball. Like it's going to end up, it'll start, you know, we've already seen it. It's, it's starting smaller. And then, you know, today there's announcement that Google is starting to hire people for payments, uh, crypto payments. And you're like, wow, <laughs> you know, that's not small. Yeah. Everybody, you know, you read something like that and you think, okay, maybe this is something I should look into. And then, you know, as we all, uh, as we all say all the time, you end up at the top of the rabbit hole, right? Yep. Oh, it, it goes there. So, so Alan, we, we've had, um, you know, just the amazing conversation and golden pair is, is, um, you know, an amazing brainchild and clearly it it's in the right place at the right time. You know, execution is always the, the, the remaining factor to be seen, but I, I appreciate you taking the time with us and really chatting through your, your own investment theses, your history in the space and, and really, um, you know, the fiduciary responsibility that you're putting yourself in, uh, to do this. Because again, there's a lot of people that are in, incredibly smart in the space that, that are also just, I, I take care of myself and that's all I, I need to do. But but let's jump through some of the the uh, more fun things in around here. And what's cool? What else have you been seeing? And and feel free to drop any cool alpha of of any projects that you've watched. Yeah, yeah. But you know you're, you're very involved in the space. What what are you seeing that's cool, interesting, or or just awesome out there? Well, wow, great question. Um, I guess there's two things. There's like there's the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is uh, the Ethereum merge, they call it, meaning Ethereum moving a proof of stake. And I think that is, it's the biggest change that's that's come to Ethereum uh, potentially ever. Um, and it will change the dynamics a lot. I think the question is, how will it change the dynamics? And do you want to be a part of it? Some people might even say like, wow, let's just, uh, let's take a step back here and see what happens. Um, the, the technical requirements behind it are massive. Um, it is a huge, huge, huge undertaking. I mean, Ethereum has so much money in value locked sitting there to start moving 
and changing the underlying system is a major undertaking. Um, and I, and I, so I think having a view on how that works, when it's likely to happen, how it's likely to happen, um, what the corollaries will be. So what will that mean for fees? Well, maybe not much. What will it mean for um, level two, uh, L2 adoption? What will it mean for all of the ETH that's currently sitting in staking contracts that will at some point be unlocked? Um, there are lots of different elements and nuanced arguments to that entire situation that I think will dominate 2022 um, and the markets. And I think figuring that out and figuring out how to how to position for it is going to be really crucial. There are a couple other um, sort of more more compared comparatively minor uh, narratives with think which I think are interesting. Um, for instance, the move towards revamping tokenomics towards uh, vote escrow tokenomics. Um, is going to be is going to be very very interesting in figuring out how to play that. Where will the value uh, accrue? Um, I think is is going to is also going to be a really important narrative. Uh, and then there's sort of which narratives will will continue to play out. And one of the other, one one of the things that I think is interesting there is a lot of people have argued that like the move and the rotation through different. Um, L1 blockchains is a narrative, um, and that it's it's a it's a rotation. You play the rotation, and I can't quite tell whether that's true or whether L1, you know, alternate L1s other than like the big ones are are a mainstay. And I think understanding the answer to that question, figuring out how different L1s. The, the 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 role that different L1s will have in the in the future of how what blockchain looks like is going to be a really important question to answer. Well, as long as I got you talking, <clears throat> talk to me, you know, what's your what's your opinions about proof of work versus proof of stake? Uh that's a good one. Um, do you feel that they're they're as secure or do you you know I do. I think proof of stake as Ethereum has uh, communicated, it will be as secure as proof of work. Um, and I think, you know, Justin Drake and some others have done a lot to provide a lot of, uh, of data on that. Uh, but it's, it's, um, I mean, we know proof of work works. Ten plus so years. It's not without risk. We also know proof of stake works. Um, it does work for other chains, but because there's so much value locked on Ethereum, you know, it's always going to be a much higher target. Uh, so, I, but I think, you know, when you deconstruct it um, intellectually, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it, I'll leave it for uh, Vitalik. Uh, you've got the same. You've got the yeah. same problem I am. You just you can't say anything about the ETH community because they're just vicious. And and whether you love them or hate them, it's it's part of the world we live in. Um, but but you know, I mean, clearly, you know, congratulations to them for for you know trailblazing. Um, you know, the smart contract systems and everything else, and it's absolutely fabulous. Um, 
NFTs. We, we've we've danced around this a little bit a, a few times and whatnot, and, and your fund may or may not have any exposure to these. Where do you see that technology going over the next you know six to twelve months? Um, do, do you think it's going to be the profile pictures, um, you know, ruling the day, or are we going to see utility tokens, um, you know, kind of kind of starting to surge? Well, it's a yeah, you know, um, it's funny. Uh, I think that. Today is an interesting day to add to that question, ask that question, because um, earlier today, Twitter just announced their ability to verify your your profile picture as an NFT, which I think is going to be huge for the profile picture space. Um, but I think, as we all know, ninety five, which might be generous. I, I was going to say I, I usually go with ninety nine percent. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, in and around the, it doesn't really matter, almost everything goes to nothing. Um, and what is really interesting to me is even more how, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a DeFi nut, I love DeFi, is how NFTs are used in non-profile picture use cases. And I, I think we're still way away from it. But you're seeing uh, in Andre Cronier's current uh, project, he's using NFTs, um, and that you'll see it used more in some crypto-native instances to to have like, well, this is a very specific non-fungible position. Um, but of course, the 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 real world applications are are where the the real potential value will accrue. I actually think that we're a while away from that. I think that um, uh, as an investable idea that there's a long way to go before you have like the, you know, property registration division who's like, hey, some guy who's like, I got, I got an idea. Let's just NFT it all and let's see how that goes. Uh, we're, we're miles away from that. Like that's, 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 a, that's a hard sell. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will absolutely echo that. There's so many people that barely understand blockchain, barely understand crypto, and then they're, they're diving into NFTs. And I had a fabulous conversation just a, a few days ago with Tegan Klein, who, from the graph edge node. And I mean, like you want to talk about somebody who understands the base layer and, and I, you know, it's essentially the DNS uh, mm-hmm. of blockchain. So, I mean, right there at the protocol level and, and with one of the, the most amazing and, and in-depth teams you can have. And she made a very valid point that, that the, the long-term value of these <clears throat> resonates with the contract and and the minting contract and there's been um a, a, a vast majority and so when we're saying 99 percent of these are garbage you really need to understand how these are built and and where they come from and and her statement was very clear you know open sea you know majority of the the open sea nfts out there were minted on open seas contract so the technical technical owner of these and and who does have the ability to manipulate those nfts is is open seas or in some cases a very centralized um you know uh authority and and that entirely degrades uh the value of these compared to again the the picture on the back of your wall which was minted on you know an 11 or i'm sorry an erc 721 contract versus an 1155 contract and i think that that's going to take people a minute to realize that that you know some of these NFTs that they bought are are not only fungible, but there's there's no inherent long term value of them besides the JPEG you did purchase. 
it's actually predates 721. Yeah, you're, what is that? A, uh... <laughs> because it's the oldest, but, but yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. And I think like um, NFTs interest me a lot and I, I do like them and I do collect them, but I'll be honest. Um, I understand NFTs to do well with NFTs. It's a, it's a culture play. <laughs> you have to understand culture. You have to have a feel, a sort of sense that's not my particular investing forte. Like I've, I've done well in NFTs, but you know, I think like intellectualizing the way things work in DeFi or in like with insurance protocols or with real life businesses and their use cases and how blockchain could, could, um, could affect them. To me, that's just, it's much more predictable. It's much more, um, uh, my, my like home base, if you will. Uh, that said, you know, investing in, uh, in NFT infrastructure, you know, everybody hates OpenSea. Everybody. And so that's right as an investment thesis in and of itself, let alone that like, well, there are other ways that you could devise platforms that could disrupt OpenSea. And so you look at the success that LooksRare has had, you look at some of these other platforms that are coming on, uh, things like uh, Xmon, which is related to Pseudoswap. Um, and there's a there's a force there, there's a narrative there that you, you have to recognize as being a potentially investable play on infrastructure uh, on underlying NFTs. That's absolutely fabulous. Alan, I can't, I can't thank you enough for your time. I, I really, again, a fabulous and in-depth look, not just into golden pair, uh, but, but yourself and, and eventually what you're building out. And, and I can't wait to do a, a recap on this, uh, next year and, and see how it's evolved and where you've gone and, and everything else. And, uh, we, I, I got a text from, from John and he says hi from Hawaii and the power went out. Uh, and so he's, he's quite simply going to have to go enjoy himself at the beach and he wishes, uh, wishes you the best of luck. Um, but again, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, for your time. And, and, uh, where, where can people reach you? What's the next steps if people are interested, uh, in your fund? Uh, so yeah, uh, you can reach me, uh, I guess by email is the best. Uh, you could reach me at Alan at golden dot capital, uh, pair is in a pair on a tree, not a pair of assets. Um, hint, you know, it's meant to be, uh, quick, quickly, uh, quickly go, quickly go register that other name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Fabulous. All right. Well, exactly. hey, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Dad. I really enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, it's always fun, fun chatting with you. Perfect. Well, hang on one second. We're going to end this. And uh, thank you to all the Y Whales for hanging out and absolutely look up Alan if you have any questions or comments going forward. Y Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. Y Whales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media.
Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.